Our second reading is Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. At that time the Lord said unto me, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and come up unto me into the mount, and make thee an ark of wood. And I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest, and thou shalt put them in the ark. And I made an ark of shittim wood, and hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and went up into the mount, having the two tables in mine hand. And he wrote on the tables, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spake unto you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly, and the Lord gave them unto me. And I turned myself and came down from the mount and put the tables in the ark which I had made, and there they be, as the Lord commanded me. And the children of Israel took their journey from Be'irot, of the children of Ja'akan unto Moserah. There Aaron died, and there he was buried. And Eleazar his son ministered in the priest's <coughs> office in his stead. From thence they journeyed unto Gudgodah, and from Gudgodah to Jotbath, a land of rivers of waters. At that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister unto him, and to bless in his name unto this day. Wherefore, Levi hath no part nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, according as the Lord thy God promised him. And I stayed in the mount according to the first time, forty days and forty nights. And the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also, and the Lord would not destroy thee. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, take thy journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swear unto their fathers to give unto them. <coughs> and now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskins of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God and a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. He doth execute the judgment of the fatherless and widow and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, <clears throat> and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. He is thy praise, and he is thy God that hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. 
Thy fathers went down into Egypt with threescore and ten persons. And now the Lord thy God hath made thee as the stars of heaven for multitude. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. I am impressed uh, immediately in the reading of this chapter in its similarity to what we've already read in Psalm 8. I don't know if you heard or not, but notice we have the heaven and the heavens of, he- of heavens belong to the Lord our God, that the Lord has condescended to take up a people to himself out of all of the people upon the face of the earth, and so on. So there are great similarities to what we've already read here in Deuteronomy 10. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so at that time, Moses is continuing his narrative Um, getting the people ready to enter into the land of promise and he's reminding them where they have been and we we enter in the narrative here we kind of jump in the middle this is shortly after in the narrative of when Moses threw the tables out of his hand intentionally to break them on the ground to show the people of Israel that they had broken covenant with God may I say something about that for a moment We often hear that there's a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, that the Old Covenant is a legal covenant and the New Covenant is a gracious covenant. May I say that the people, when they sinned at the base of Sinai and worshipped God by means of a worship form that they learned, the syncretism that they learned in Egypt, that God did not destroy them. It was not a covenant of works. It was a covenant of grace given in the context of of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, beloved, are as much our commandments as they were the children of Israel's commandments. What is the Ark called? Do you remember? Of course you do. It's the Ark of the Covenant. Where do the tablets go? In the Ark. Why do they go in the Ark? Because the Covenant of God is all about His law. Not in a legal sense. Not in a meritorious sense, but the people of God, when they enter into covenant with God, must, must, beloved, they must have the right relationship to the law of God. Because God has advertised, he has set his commandments out as statement of the covenant. How do you receive the law of God, beloved? Is it with joy? Are the commandments of God your meditation? Are they written savingly upon your heart such that you love them? The Lord will, if you will, bring together the concept of love and commandment in this chapter. Like he does in many places. We have been duped by substandard Christian theologians who have said that love and law are different things. They're not. Here we see that the people of God love God and as an adjunct to and demonstration of that love, they receive his commandments and they set their best foot forward to keep them. They're not saved by their law keeping, obviously. The Israelites were not saved by their law keeping. But this doesn't keep the Lord from saying, this is my covenant. In Psalm 50, 
when the Lord says to those wicked professors, how dare you take my covenant in your mouth? What do you think he's talking about there? He's talking about his commandments. So, beloved, here we have um, two things at, at the beginning of this chapter. The first thing is that Moses takes those tables and he chunks them out of his hand and they break on the ground. What does the Lord do? Bring me two more tables and I'll write them again. Because the word of God is not confined to letters printed on the page. The word of God resides in heaven with God. It cannot go away. It is eternal. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. You'll remember the story that we read when we were studying the text of Jeremiah, Baruch, and Zedekiah. What did, he, what did he do with, with the words that Jeremiah spoke and Baruch wrote down? What did he do with those? He cut them with a penknife, cut that paper up and threw it into the fire. There, so far the word of God. And so Baruch goes back to Jeremiah and the Lord gives Jeremiah not only all those words that were burned, but more words besides. Well, I'm reminded of that in, in this passage. The word of God is inviolable. It cannot go away. Even when the people of God break it, and in demonstration of that, the tables are broken, it remains. The second thing we remember here is that the Lord delivered them unto them, not as a covenant of works, but as that statement that will help them to reveal the love that they have for God in their mindset toward those commandments. And this is true in every age. Jesus will say that, won't he? If you love me, keep my commandments. So this allergy to the law of God that Christians have developed in the 20 and 21st centuries, well, we must find some spiritual Benadryl for that and put it away. We embrace the law of God. We love God's law. Why? Because we love Him. And God's law is the adaptation of His own moral character given to men that we might commune with Him. Not on the basis of our merits, but on the basis of Christ's perfection and His obedience. All right, so that's the first few verses. One through five. Then in uh, verses six and seven... We read about how the Lord sustained them in their journeys as they kept going forward. And then in verse 8, notice the tribe of Levi is separated to bear the ark. They have no part nor inheritance. The Lord is their inheritance according as the Lord thy God promised him. And so uh, Moses reminds them that they ought not to uh, behave themselves as Levites. That's not, that's not their job. The Lord gave that to Levi, and they've now had practice as they've carried that around for 40 years. The Levites and the people of God should understand those principles by now. Um, then in verse 12, oh sorry, verse 10, Moses stayed in the mount another 40 days. The first 40 days he stayed there to receive all of the all of the appurtenances of the worship of God, like Christ you know, spent 40 days with his apostles before he left. In the second time, it says that the Lord hearkened unto me, that at that time also that the Lord would not destroy thee. And so the second 
uh, 40 days. Moses here characterizes it as a time of contrition and intercession for their sins. 40 days of contrition and intercession for their sins. Beloved, don't let anyone ever tell you that God is unconcerned with your sins. Moses, having that godly attitude, what did he do? He spent 40 days before the Lord, praying and interceding. And the Lord said, the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also, and the Lord would not destroy thee. And so then he said, Arise and take your journey before the people and go and possess the land. It is still God's promise that is in view here. Well, he's reminding them that although they have just spent 40 years in the wilderness, it was for their sins and not for God's unwillingness to bring them. At every turn, they sinned and God said, let's get going. Until they finally rebelled and said, no, we won't go into that land. Beloved, the advancements or the lack of advancement that we make, that's not on God's side. That's on our side. If we are dealing with a besetting sin over and over again and so on. Oh, I just can't seem to, I just can't seem to get over this. Well, maybe we need some help. Maybe we need to go to someone and, and talk about it so that we can maybe develop a new strategy, develop a new understanding, maybe new spiritual work and exercises and things to read and to process. Because the, the problem, beloved, is not on God's side. It's on our side to humble us. All right, so now in verses 12 through 22, this is what we began the chapter with in that brief explanation. What does the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him and to serve him, to the Lord thy God, with all thy heart and with all thy soul? Well, when it is put in that kind of statement, we, we know, don't we, that we, we don't have that kind of singularity. That we find in ourselves weakness. And if the, if the commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to come up short in that. And so even in this advertisement of the requirements, there is indeed an implied advertisement of the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. Because none of us come before him as we ought. Yet, beloved... The love that we have for God is a true, a real love that manifests itself in our desires after his commandments and communion with him. This is the controversy that rages over Romans chapter 7. Is Paul saying these things as a Pharisee or is he saying them as a believer? Keep in mind... Beloved, that those who say that uh, Romans 7.14 through the end of the chapter speak to Paul as a Pharisee rather than Paul as a believer, that, that is laying the foundation for what Dr. Warfield will, will, will write against in his collected writings. In fact, he has a whole volume on it called Perfectionism. That what Paul sets forth there in Romans 7.14 through the end of the chapter is a right understanding that the closer we draw to the Lord, the closer we come to Him, the closer and more acutely we meditate upon His statutes, judgments, commandments, and ordinances, the greater our sin will loom 
in the relief of that light. And by relief, I mean like an old relief map where you have portions of it that are raised that cast a shadow, that make a difference. The distance between the creature and the creator is so great that we could never hope to have any fruition of God as our blessedness and reward except that God condescend to us by means of covenant. Right? Summarizing what we say in chapter 1 of our confession. So no, this emphasis on the law here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, it is not a legal emphasis. It is a heart emphasis. It is a love emphasis. It is a grace emphasis. And so I press it to you as well and to myself. We must ask ourselves, what is our relationship to the law of God? Do we love it because it's his? Do we love it because we see his moral perfection in it? Do we love it because he is our sovereign and our father, as our sovereign and father has pressed it to our consciences for obedience? And do we love it in all those ways? This is that gracious use of the law that Moses presses to the children of Israel in that day and by way of application to us today. Let's stand and continue praying.